0: The last question that Jesus asked before he died on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This question is deafening, likely because It echoes in the hearts of so many, the pain, the brokenness, seeing life fall apart, hopes dashed, futures destroyed, love and life crushed. And I find it interesting that Jesus utters these words at the end of his earthly ministry. All of the miracles, all of the displays of divine power, holy intervention, life-changing encounters with the one true God. And then at the end of this account, we see Jesus utter this prayer that, doesn't really get an answer in the midst of unjust torture and then this question from the son of god that leaves us seeing the human in jesus I wonder if this is the last question taking place because God knew that this was the common thread through humanity. Not that there isn't good in life and joy and love and fun and and fulfilling things, but there is also tragedy. There's injustice, there's heartbreak, there's brokenness and darkness. And perhaps the most important lesson that we learn from this, and if you hear nothing else I say today, hear this, that what felt like the end What felt like the end for Jesus' closest followers and Jesus' greatest enemies and everybody in between, what felt like the end for everyone surrounding this one moment in time was just the beginning of the story. It was the beginning of something eternal and far bigger than anyone could imagine. This is a teaching I've avoided for a while. There isn't a neat bow on this. Some loose ends. And sometimes our questions are just answered with more questions. And I'll be honest, I have nothing but brokenness to offer. But this is our story that has left us asking the same question My God, my God, why have we forsaken? A year and five months ago, our son Cooper passed away. I mean, man, okay. What I loved about him is joy, the insatiable curiosity how he lit up a room. Yeah. The fun that we had together. I swear that kid lived 70 years of life and joy in the seven years that he was here. <laughs> and he soaked up every ounce of it. When you go to the next picture, you see uh, <laughs> how much, uh, he just loved playing with his siblings. And man, just the Goofiest goofballs ever when those three were together. They clearly get it from their mother. Uh, (laughs) And he just liked being silly and just being in the moment and having fun. Boy, I just appreciate that so much about him. This gives an overview of the darkest days of our life, though. February of last year, Cooper got sick. We took him into the doctor, and they ran every test possible there, and all came back negative. It was just a virus, they said, and he got better by the end of the week and seemed his normal self. Uh, Later that next week, he came home not feeling well on a Thursday. Friday morning, he woke up with a high temp and flu-like symptoms. His temperature started to go down that day, and he seemed to be feeling better and ate some food and... I remember coming home from work that day, and he was on the top bunk, the top bed of his bunk bed, excited about how many episodes of the octonauts that he had watched, and that there was a concrete pump truck across the street that he got to watch from his vantage point there. But the next morning, our world changed. His symptoms came back, and things very quickly went bad. He started to go into septic shock. He was life flighted to Iowa City where we waited by his side for the most agonizing 24 hours, before we had to do the hardest thing we've ever had to do, held him in our arms as he died. We would later find out that this was a result of a rare blood infection compounded by other medical factors. and. The doctors and specialists told us that there was nothing that could have been done, nothing that we could have done, and it was just simply very bad luck. A team of the nation's top forensic pathologists and infectious disease experts took it on themselves following this to study this case because it was so unusual. They combed through every detail and every... (laughs) bit of the fake case file and the information leading up to this scenario. And for those months they studied it, they came up completely inconclusive. The different factors in this case, nobody could figure out what happened. No theories, no plausible ideas on how this infection got into his blood or why this happened. We have never felt pain so deep. Or an emptiness so consuming. I mean, it feels like God let us down in the moment we needed him most. Where is he? Sometimes it's hard to feel anything other than disappointment. How do we live like this? How do we survive the years ahead? And it, sometimes it seems out of place to stand in a sanctuary and open my mouth and praise when every fiber of my being feels shattered and broken. How do we live like this? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's so many in this boat. I know we're not the only ones that have horrible things that happen in their lives. That are, we're not the only ones in dark situations or, or, or just <laughs> hopeless places. There is so much brokenness, so many things, so many people on so many journeys. And I think there's probably two camps of people here today. There's the people who have never really experienced tragedy or loss to a deep degree, and then the people who are on this journey as well. And I think if you're in the first group of people, like, that's, that's good. I would never wish any of this upon you. But maybe today what we talk about is, can provide some, some, maybe some foresight or some wisdom If or when, life does take a left turn. And maybe help you know how to walk beside people who are on this journey. And if you're in that second group of people and you're walking through this, I just want you to know that you're not alone in this. And that in the wake of unanswered prayer and tragic circumstances where everything that you love has been violently ripped from your grip, it can cause you to want to walk away from God, walk away from the church, walk away from all of it. Because you feel completely alone in that moment, regardless of how many people are around you, smothered under the weight of grief, so consumed with pain that it seems impossible that a good God could exist. I see you. I know how you feel. And I fully recognize that there is no volume of words that can bring comfort to a truly aching heart. There aren't words that can make the pain go away or fill the gaping hole. But I do believe that this passage has something valuable that can help us navigate the deep, dark waters of grief. What we see from Jesus here as he's on the cross and he, he says this question, he cries out in exasperation in this question, it shows us that it's okay for us to do the same. Jesus feels the pain and he asks the questions and it's okay for us to do the same. And in this this. Quote here, I think, shows us the another important point here that there is no solution to unsolvable problems. But what is essential is the sense of God's presence in dark seasons of questioning. And that is what we see here. You see the overwhelming truth that we find in the account of Jesus' death on the cross and the final question that he asks profoundly communicates that God's promise for us does not change regardless of of our circumstances. God's promise for us does not change regardless of our circumstances. Jesus felt disconnected. He felt forsaken in that moment, but he still moved toward God with the pain. He cries out in anguish, and he felt the full weight of all the things we feel, all of the sin, all of the brokenness, the result of that, everything that's in the pit of your stomach, in your heart. He bore that on the cross, and he felt it in that moment. And that's why he cried out to God, why have you forsaken me? He felt all of those things that aren't right, but he presses in anyway. Not holding back what he feels, showing us that we can come to him with all of what's in our hearts, no matter what. And following this question, following this moment, the very next words that he says. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He felt the pain, he expressed the pain, but then he pressed into God. He moved toward him with the broken pieces because he is the only one that can make any sense of it. And if there was ever a prayer when we don't know what to pray in complete brokenness, Father, into your hands I give you everything that's in me. So as this question's on our minds, sometimes, for some of us who are asking the same question that Jesus asked on the cross, more questions follow. Like this one, where is God in all of this? Where is he? And that's a fair question that often gets dismissed with cheap answers. That sometimes just make me sick to my stomach. Our hearts yearn for wholeness, that things are not the way that it should be, that we aren't just products of chance, but we have a purpose, that we are meant for more, that this just isn't right, that it should be different. And that is God's plan, but it may not unfold like we think it should. And I don't know why, and I don't have the answers. The, the picture that keeps coming to mind as I've wrestled with these things is, is Daniel in the lion's den, and we see in Daniel chapter 6, some of you may be familiar with this account, but the Reader's Digest version here is some, some bad people tricked the king that's in power at that point to force him into throwing Daniel into the lion's den. These but crooked, corrupt people were tired of seeing Daniel being good in everything that he was doing and advancing in the kingdom there. Uh, they decided to, you know, betray him and get rid of him so that they could be in power. And so the king, with his hands tied behind his back up against the wall, said, I, have, I am forced to do this. So he's forced to throwing Daniel into the lion's den, a deep, dark pit with hungry beasts ready to devour and break every bone in his body. And as the king put him down into this pit, he was distraught because he knew it wasn't right and he knew what would follow. He knew he had seen time and time again what happens to anything, anybody who goes in that pit. And before he closed the top of that pit, he said, Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. And the next morning, the king opens up the top and says, Daniel, Daniel, are you you still there? And Daniel responds, not just alive, but completely unscathed, not a mark on him. So said that God sent his angels to hold, mouth, hold shut the mouths of the lions. You see, God didn't keep him out of the darkness, but he was with him in it. God does not keep us from the dark pit, but he sits with us there and holds shut the mouths of the beasts that are ready to devour us. It's important to recognize the yes in the no in Daniel and the lion's den here because God doesn't keep him from getting thrown into the den in the darkness, but he keeps him from getting devoured. And sometimes the answer to our prayer is no for a reason we can't explain, but his answer to us is always yes, I am with you. God's promise to us is not dependent on our circumstances. Or as an author had put, we cannot reduce God to the size of our pain. No matter how dark it is or how deep the pit, his promise to us is not dependent on our circumstances. So as we're wrestling with the same question that Jesus cried out on the cross, more questions follow. Well, if Jesus knew about this and he knew how I felt, why didn't he do something about it? If he really loved me, why didn't he do something about it? And what I'm going to say may not change how you feel, but it might influence how you think. In our situation, there were hundreds and hundreds of people praying, the most powerful prayers that I know. Committed servants of God, pastors, brothers and sisters in Christ, pure in heart, strong in faith, droves of friends and family, praying expectantly with the faith given them. But the faith was not given in that moment for our will. The faith we were all given in that moment was to trust His will, even when it doesn't make sense. If Jesus knew about this and was all powerful and loves us and loves me and loves our family, why didn't He do something about this? And the answer is, he did, and he is. And a lot of times I don't like it. Actually, a lot of times I hate it because it's not the way that I want it. But I'm not God. What I do know is that death is not the end. Brokenness is not the end. And the only place where enduring hope can be found is in Jesus Christ because the plans that he has for me don't end at the grave. The plans he has for Cooper don't end at the grave. And the plans he has for every single one of you It's not end of the grave. He defeated death with death. Because an indestructible force of God's power and his enduring love for humanity by defeating Satan with Satan's greatest weapon of destruction, death, Jesus was making a definitive statement that death is not the end, that his purpose for us goes beyond the grave. That was once meant to be the final blow of destruction and punishment to us. God turned into the beginning of his eternal plan for us should we choose to commit our lives to him. That is the exchange of the cross. Death for life, brokenness for freedom, sorrows for joy. And joy not meaning dancing in the street, but joy meaning an enduring hope of his promises to us. Faith in what is not yet seen. There's a great overview of this in Colossians 2, and we can go into much more detail if you want in, in your own reading time in, in Romans 8, 9, and 10, Hebrews 12, and then Isaiah 58, 59, and 60. If you want the full picture, I spend some time there. But what is happening is God is setting out the hope before us to endure this moment, even though the answer right now is no. His answer to us in the moment is always, I am with you. God's promise to us doesn't change regardless of our circumstances. And I think this quote by Elizabeth Elliot is so important as we understand this. Elizabeth Elliot Her book, Uh, Suffering is Never for Nothing, is probably one of the most profound books I've ever read and has really helped us navigate this last year and five months. And you can read more about her story, but an understatement would be she had experienced an insurmountable amount of tragedy in her life. And she said, the principle of exchange in the kingdom of God is this. I give my deaths and he gives me his life. My sorrows, he gives me joy. My losses, he gives me his gains. This is the greatest principle of the cross. And I can tell you unequivocally that the cross of Jesus Christ has never meant more. It doesn't mean that this isn't horrible. It doesn't mean that it's not gut-wrenching and painful or debilitating and dark. It doesn't mean that. And it doesn't mean that there isn't pain and anguish. But what it means is that there is hope. And in trying to process things and make sense of things, I think sometimes it's important to remember that sometimes the picture is bigger than we can see. I remember when I was in art class, it was like, I don't know, third or fourth grade. Um, I always thought art class was fun because you got to make a lot of mess. And, you know, I just as a kid, it was like the best thing ever, right? Uh, but I remember learning about this uh, style of art called pointillism. And I, I just found it fascinating because what it is is these artists make all these pictures, but they only use dots. Just dot, 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 over the whole page. And they make all these different textures and colors and layers and everything, just only out of dots. I thought, man, that's crazy. That would take forever. I don't have the patience for that. And I just thought that was so cool. And I remember this picture uh, up here. And it's kind of blurry. You can sort of see. But uh, you get the gist of it. Um, it's, a, it's a pelican here, right? You kind of see its beak and its wings there, you know, clearly done by some sort of bird expert ornithologist. It's a little bit um, avant-garde, maybe. Um, But actually, as we, we zoom out a little bit, we get a little bit more perspective. We realize that's actually not a pelican. It's actually a flag on top of a sailboat. So where we once thought, like, oh, this is a picture about birds and uh, this artist's love for birds, we realize, like, well, that's actually not what the picture's about at all. It's actually about a sailboat out on the open waters, the freedom of nothing else around it but just open waters and sailing and no motors or anything like that, but just the freedom of um, the voyage out on the open ocean there, the wind behind them. So you realize, well, this is a picture about sailing, I mean, as we zoom out actually a little bit more, we see a little bit more of the picture. Well, there's a guy in a steamboat there. So I guess it's not just about sailing. Maybe it's about like, um, you know, just kind of the two storylines here of the old-fashioned way of, of getting across water and navigating and this new advent of, you know, s- steam engines. And then we see that there's a tree there. So, you know, there's got to be land nearby. So maybe they're not quite out on the open ocean. Uh, So we start to see a little bit more of the picture here. And as we zoom out a little bit more, actually, there's a lady in her Sunday best fishing. Well, first I thought this was about a pelican, and then I realized it's about a sailboat, and now there's this lady in her Sunday dress fishing. So I really have no idea what's happening in this picture at all, okay? This is just throwing me for a little bit of a loop, and so then as I gain a little more perspective, we zoom out again, I see more of the storyline. It's like, well, wait a minute. That pelican that was a flag on top of the sailboat is actually not even in the foreground. It's in the background of the whole picture there. And I see a lot more happening in this picture. I mean, there's, there's lots of different people. And there's a rowing team going through the picture. And there's a trumpet player. He must be awesome, because trumpet players are really cool. Um, And there's just so much happening here. And so like in this little cove where there's all these people and these storylines, and it's like this weekend afternoon, they're enjoying this day, but we see all of these different storylines kind of interacting, all of these different things happening in this picture. And then as we zoom out more, we realize... Well, look at all this stuff happening in this picture. That one little piece of what I thought it was is actually just such a minuscule part, actually maybe a few dots of the entire picture that's happening. All of these different storylines, all of these different people, and there's all these different people from different classes. There's the upper class. There's the lower class. There's a lady that has a monkey for a pet. I don't even know what that's about. Sometimes life is like the very first picture. With our limited, finite perspective, we think it is about something. Or all we can see is that one picture of the pelican. And Maybe the picture is far bigger than we could imagine. Intricately woven toward a divine and eternal purpose by an infinite God. Sometimes the picture is bigger than we can see. And that doesn't provide answers, it doesn't take away the pain, it doesn't fix the unfixable problems, but maybe in the middle of darkness and devastation, it gives hope that there is something more that we can't see. And I think part of that perspective that keeps me moving forward is that there will be a moment when I step into heaven, face to face with our Savior Jesus Christ, where everything is made right and as it should be. And as we look back over our life, heaven will work its way backward as if it always was. And in comparison to what is before us, this life will seem but a blink of an eye. Sometimes the picture is bigger than we can see. Before I close, I do want to provide a few, I don't know, I call them lifelines. Um, because I feel like that's what people threw us when we were just in the middle of just the darkest places and the darkest moments. Um, I, I realize actually the first three points are kind of all like one point. So you'll see they just kind of are all a continuation, a continuation of each other. But when you are so broken in such a dark place and you don't know what to do. Just do the next thing, and then do the next thing, and that's it. You may not know what to do. You may not be able to move. You may not even be able to think about what you can even make to eat, but you know what? You can, <laughs> you can brush your teeth. Whatever it is, just do the next thing, and then do the next thing, and sometimes that's all it is that has kept us going. I'm just going to do the next thing. I'm just going to do the next thing. And the second one is when you don't know what to do, do what you know. I don't know what to do. I can't I can't move in this moment. I don't even I just can't even think past this moment. But I do know how to put my shoes on. I'm going to just walk to the end of the driveway. I might just even just walk to the kitchen. Maybe I'll just try and walk to the end of the street. Sometimes when we don't know what to do, if we just do what we know, it can just keep us moving, and I think that's the biggest thing is just keep moving. This is very basic, and sometimes that's what's required in these moments where we just are deep in the darkest pit of despair is shortening our perspective in this way. And that's number three, is just shortening your perspective. My friend Dave Bartlett told me, I I remember having this conversation with him, I said, Dave, I, I, I can't even think about like a week ahead, a month ahead, how are we supposed to live like this? How are we supposed to survive? He said, you just need to think about five minutes at a time, maybe even one minute at a time. I remember there was a point where my friend Scott came over and I I couldn't move. I was just laying there, but I just like I could move. Like just suffocating under the weight of grief. And I was like, I just don't know if I can do this. He said, I bet you can take a breath. And I bet you can take another breath. And then another breath. Sometimes when we Shorten our perspective that way. It can get us to the next moment, to the next moment, to the next moment, until we can begin to widen our perspective a little bit at a time. And finally, the the last lifeline here is the offering of brokenness. It's easy to think, just with all of, just everything that is broken and shattered within you, like, what can I even do? What what can... (laughs) What good can even come from my life moving forward? But the brokenness in your life is a pure and sacred offering that we can lay at the feet of Jesus. And as with any offering, he will take that. He will bring restoration. He will bring wholeness. When we move towards him with the pain. I remember this moment just a few days after losing Cooper. I spent a lot of time in the woods. There was so much pain, so much anger, and I remember It was just in the middle of, it was still just bitter cold and snowy out there, and I would just walk and walk and walk in the woods where there wasn't anybody, and I would just like, I would yell just because I was so mad, and I would just break whatever I could break. And just after being so exhausted physically and emotionally, I remember standing there in the stillness of that winter moment, feeling the pain of having that love and life just completely ripped out of me, thinking I never knew I could feel pain this Deep. And then I just felt that close presence of God. And this, this came to mind. was just that God willingly endured that pain for us, giving his son Jesus on the cross so that we could have restoration and wholeness and life and hope and joy and eternal life in him. And if there is a fraction of a percentage of a chance that we could know love that is that deep and that great and that wide, why would we not run headlong into knowing that love? You can either walk away. And try to swim across the endless ocean of sorrow on your own, only to drown in the deep dark. Or you can board the ship that will take us through the dark water, through the fierce waves, to a place where we can find safe harbor. And maybe today, as you're wrestling with the things you're wrestling with, or maybe just thinking about the direction of your life, think, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. That's for me. I want to know that love. I want to know the the unending love of the one true God. I want to commit my life to him. I want to commit my pain to him, my brokenness to him. I want to give it all to him. I know I'm not perfect. I know that there is so much brokenness, but that is the only place where we can find hope. Then I want to just help you in that step forward. And so as I close in prayer, then I would just just offer this to you, that you just repeat this prayer in your hearts as we pray together, as you offer that to him as we head into a time of worship here today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are my God. And I want to commit to following you with my life, as I accept your gift of salvation. And this morning, I give you all of my brokenness. And I ask for forgiveness for the sin in my life. And as I follow you, help me to know you more and more every day. Take all of the broken things in me and help make me whole again. In Jesus' name, amen.